Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Um, If you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, we're looking at Luke chapter 16. Uh, Some words of Jesus about what he looks for in terms of leadership and who it is that Jesus says he promotes. So um, it's, uh, it's, you know, the, the way the world looks at leadership can often be quite different from the way the Bible talks about leadership. And in fact, Jesus um, said, you've seen how the world does it. I want you to do it differently. I want you to do it in a different way. You've seen how they work. I want you to work this completely differently. And um, you're going to pick out the word, I think, in Luke 16, verses 10 to 12. Jesus says this. So listening for the key word. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven. And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? See, we celebrate people and we reward them often, and this is true in the church as well as in the world, for giftedness, for charisma, for achievements. And we do all of that and we put people up the front, sometimes regardless of character. But there's this quality that Jesus says God values above all the others and it's faithfulness. Literally, that you can be relied upon. He's looking for reliable people. Psalm Psalm 12 verse 1 says, Help, Lord, for the godly are fast disappearing, for the faithful disappear from among the people of the earth. It's like there's, there's a crisis of faithfulness in the world not many people pass the faithfulness test you guys have they've passed the faithfulness test well done can we give them a round of applause for, we're just well done for passing the faithfulness test so the way we want to do Ivy leadership is out of the Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2 which is easy to remember 2 2 2 because it's all about Two become two becomes two. It's like a multiplication thing. In this passage, it says this. Paul apprenticed Timothy and he wrote to him and he said, this is what you should look for in future leaders. What you've heard from me through many witnesses entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others as well. So it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant for me to see that Tim is so passionate leading the resident program that he was a resident on. You know, that's awesome. That is this. That's exactly what that is. He's proved himself faithful and now he's faithfully teaching others and now they get to faithfully teach others and it's like this champagne glass fountain thing that overflows and God just pours his spirit out on the whole thing. Rather than it being about one person who has to do everything. The Apostle Paul himself could only say that because he'd passed the faithfulness test. If God finds you faithful, he'll find you a place of service. Because 
before we move off that passage, it says, look at that word, entrust. It's like you're looking for people that you can trust, that you can entrust, put trust in. Who, who are you looking to entrust ministry in? Who are you looking to entrust service for God in? Faithful people. That's who you should look for. Not fashionable people. Not that they're not fashionable. <laughs> not good-looking people. Not that they're not very good-looking people. But those aren't the qualifications. Paul himself said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I'm grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord who strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to serve. So it's like Paul says, I passed the faithfulness test. That's why I got a place to serve. If God finds you faithful, don't worry, there'll always be a place to serve. A place of service. That word is the same word as ministry in the Bible. There's no difference between service and ministry. It's the same thing in the Bible. You won't need to promote yourself. Psalm 75 verse 6 says, Promotion does not come from the east or the west. Hang on, I'll get my directions right. Promotion does not come from the, the east or the west or from the south. But it comes from... I wish he said the north. It made me think God was a northerner. <laughs> but actually, he says, it doesn't come from the east or the west or the south, but God lifts one up and puts another down. They didn't mention the north, which is a bit of a shame. <laughs> There's a thing in the business world, they talk about the Peter principle, which is the idea that people get promoted to a level of incompetence. It's like they get put up there and they end up at the top, but they haven't got a clue what to do. I've seen that in various organisations. But God's a lot wiser than that. He says, I want to just entrust people that I know will be faithful. And God's promotion is better than any human promotion. God's promotion is better than a boss promoting you. Because he knows you, because he knows what you can handle and he wants you to handle it. And when he sees you handling it, he's going to give you more to handle. R.T. Kendall said years ago, I remember him saying, the worst thing that can ever happen to a person is that God would promote you ahead of time. That you would get yourself into a place with your gifts, for instance, that your character can't keep you. So sometimes it can be in church that you can have the biggest, baddest story, the most amazing testimony, that everybody's like, wow, that's amazing. And you start to think it's all about you. And you end up, oh, maybe it's because of your sparkling personality or what, all these other gifts or your musical ability. All these different kinds of things can be the thing that it ends up being. And it, it, we forget, actually, what Sam reminded us of. And as soon as he started to talk, I said to Zoe, he's preaching my sermon, that it's about character. I always tell our guys, and he mentioned the word platform, when they start off the leadership programme, I talk about a guy called St. Saint Simeon Stylites. Now he, uh, Tennyson wrote a poem about him, but he actually, he, he existed, he really did. He's one of the old church fathers, they call him, the desert fathers. And these guys would, would go off and live in the desert and would try and get close to God. And often the whole thing was like, I'll deny myself as much as I can deny myself in order to get more of God. That was the way that they saw it. And... And um, so he actually lived on top of a, 
a 50-foot-tall platform near Aleppo for 37 years, and then he died on top of it. He took this deny-yourself stuff a bit too seriously, if you ask me. He, they actually, he took it so seriously, they threw him out of the monastery. You know, monasteries are a fairly harsh place, I would think, aren't they, anyway? But they were like, you're too hardcore. So they threw him out, and then he decided what he was going to go. He was going to go, and first of all, he went to go and live inside a tiny hut on his own for a year and a half. I mean, a teeny tiny hut. And then that wasn't hard enough, and it came Lent, so he said, I'm not going to eat throughout the whole of Lent. In fact, I'm not going to eat or drink for the whole of Lent. And they kind of expected that he would die, but he didn't, so they proclaimed it a miracle at that point. And then loads of people started to come to him and ask him about, what do you know about God? Because you've done miraculous things. You've lived in a hut. You've not eaten and drunk and all this kind of stuff. And actually, after a while, he was like, you know, I can't get any God praying stuff done because all these people keep coming to me asking about how I do it. <laughs> so then he decided he was going to go up this platform and live on top of this platform. And little boys would come and put food up to him and drink up to him. And I don't know what they did about the other stuff. But anyway. <laughs> and then he stayed there and he lived up there all those years until he died. But the whole idea behind this is it's a platform. And ministry often ends up being about a platform. People end up with a platform. And you can have a platform based upon your character or you can have one based upon your gifts. You can have one based upon your abilities. You can have your, 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 your oratory skills, your persuasion with people. Your, all those kind of things can be a platform that people build huge ministries on. You know, on being the brilliant public speaker. Or, or, you, know, you can do all of that and not really pray much. You can, you, can, you can have all of this kind of thing and have a huge platform and be on God TV and all these different kinds of things. But ultimately, if you build that platform, the, 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 oh, and I say, say to these guys, and it's something I want to remember, always remember myself, that the only platform that really lasts is respect. And it's what other people give you because they trust you. And that's not one you can build yourself. Because ultimately, you don't get to supply your own materials. People have to give you the materials for that over time. As they see that you love them, as they see that you serve them, as they see that you, you're there for them and that you care for them, they start to give you one little plank, one little nail at a time, the platform, and it's, and it's a slow build, but it's worth it. And it's dead easy to come crashing down, unfortunately, when people realise that actually you're not all that. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2 says, It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. We're meant to be stewards. It doesn't say that they be successful. It doesn't say that they be influential. But the thing is, if you're faithful, God will ensure and help you to be fruitful. See, this isn't just about faithfulness for faithfulness sake. The idea in the Bible is you're faithful, and as you're faithful, you'll also be fruitful. God doesn't want, you know, sometimes people can be like, well, he led that church for 50 years, nobody ever became a Christian, and it was like, you know, it, it, it shrunk right down, but it was very faithful. And they think, well, actually, God also wants fruitful. He equates fruitful and faithful. You look at the parable of the talents and you can see that. It isn't just somebody who takes the, what they've been given and, oh, I faithfully buried it in the ground, had it in a nice little handkerchief and wrapped it up and here it is back. He gets a telling off, if you remember in the story because he was he would say he was faithful but he wasn't fruitful so in this passage that we started off with from Luke chapter 16 Jesus talks about three levels of faithfulness and faithful I looked in the dictionary means consistently reliable 
in the transaction of business, the execution of commands or the discharge of duties. That's what faithfulness is. Faithful basically means you do what you're told, when you're told, with what you're told, the best you can with what you've been entrusted to, consistently, like it or not. In the passage, I say there's three levels of faithfulness. It starts off in verse 10 with faithfulness in small things. Say small things. Little things. What is least, another translation says. It can mean smallest in size, smallest in amount, smallest in importance, in rank. Smallest, the least in the estimation of people. Like nobody really bothers about that little thing that you did. God massively bothers about the little thing that you did. God was watching the little things because the little things to him are the big, big things. You've heard of... Michelangelo. Who's ever been to the Sistine Chapel in Rome? Anybody? Oh, quite a lot of us. It's amazing. When he was in his early 30s, the Pope commissioned him to paint the 12 apostles on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And um, he didn't really want to do it. He had other jobs on. You know, like a builder. Oh, I can't do that till whenever. He was like that. And the Pope pressed him, so eventually he agreed. And after accepting the project, however, having been entrusted with, a, with the project, do 12 apostles, he enlarged it and he ended up painting 400 biblical figures. Different scenes from the whole of the book of Genesis. You know, it's breathtaking, it's unbelievable. I, you know, personally, I'd hate to paint the bathroom ceiling. <laughs> Never mind the Sistine Chapel. But... He, he did it and it took him years of painful labour. And at one point, famously, he was painting this little tiny bit tucked out of the way. And somebody said to him, why are you spending all that time on that? Nobody will see it. And he said, God will see it. So he remembered who he was doing it for. The Bible says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As though you're working for the Lord, because you are, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive a reward. Hudson Taylor, who people call the father of the mission, he said this, a small thing is a small thing, but faithfulness in a small thing is a big thing. 2 Samuel chapter 23, David gets described, it says, he was the psalmist of Israel, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the man who was raised up on high. But there was a time when he was just looking after sheep for a long time. He was just the forgotten by his own father with all his older brothers, looking after sheep, messing about, playing some music, and then he starts to really connect to God as he's doing the little things. And he realises these little things aren't little things. They're what you call training for reigning. Because later on when he comes to fight a giant, he says, you know what? I've already fought a bear. I've already fought a lion. The little things are preparing him for the bigger things. Goliath was just a start for David. God was testing him all the way because he wanted to see, will he be a shepherd for my people? I'm looking for shepherds for my people. If you look after the sheep, maybe you can look after people. You look after the little things, those little lambs, and then I want you to feed my sheep, my people. Jesus says, he who is unfaithful in what is least will be unfaithful in much. It's like there's no halfway. You're either 
faithful or unfaithful. You can't be halfway faithful. God loves everybody, but this passage tells me and the rest of the New Testament tells me God uses faithful people. And that's why I'm always looking for faithful people. God's always looking for faithful people. That's why if you do come up to us at some point and apply for residency, we might not say yes. Or we might say not yet. There's no assumption that just because somebody decides they want to do it, that we're going to do it with you. We, because we, these, these guys have set a high bar for you. Because we are not going to make you faithful by doing this. There isn't like a part of this that is like, now we'll, if you do this, we'll make you faithful. You are the one who decides to be faithful. And what we do, if we find good soil, we, we want to throw a lot of seed onto that. In all kinds of different ways in leadership here, but I'm talking specifically about this residency program. So for me, you know, in any area of leadership, there are different things. I kind of have a checklist. I thought about some of the few things, and some of it's negative and some of it's positive, but it's things, that, as I'm saying this, I'm watching for myself in, in these two. Maybe these are the reasons. If you kind of think, why aren't I getting promoted by God? Maybe some of the, these are some of the reasons. Just check yourself. Number one, a low energy level. Even tonight as you're sitting listening to the talk. If you're like, it's like, are you, going to, are you going to be passionate for God? A tendency to complain about other people or things. That indicates a critical negative spirit. A tendency to make excuses for yourself rather than take responsibility when God gives it. You, you, we so often rule ourselves out of things that God really wanted us to do. I don't want to, spend, I don't want to come to the end of my life and have a whole list of things that I find out that God had, me, had ready for me and I was like, oh, not really me. No, really you. Yeah, really me. A sloppy appearance or poor hygiene. I actually do look for that because if you can't look after yourself, don't tell me you're going to go and look after other people. An inconsistent lifestyle. What I mean is somebody's always changing jobs, always changing their mind, always here and always there and always one day going to do something. And they're never on time. They're not dependable. These little things, you might think, well, they are little things. No, they're, they're not little things, they're big things. The little things are what get noticed in the end over time. Consistent reliability or inconsistency. You might, as I say, think there's a little phrase. Great doors swing on little hinges. So for years, Judas had been unfaithful with money, so it wasn't difficult for him to sell Jesus out, which leads us on to the next test, which is about money, faithfulness in finances. He says, if you've not been faithful with dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? True riches for Jesus is eternity. It's souls, it's people. That's what matters to him. He says money's a little thing to him. God's not bothered about money, but we are. Sometimes we're too bothered about money. Sometimes the reason we rule ourselves out of things that God wants us to do is because we're too worried about money. We think, well, how will we be able to afford it? I love what we heard, again, about, from Sam. About, about Sam, which he didn't say himself, but what was said by him about the way in which he's, he's learned to be about money. Because it's very often, you know, you, even in church, you can kind of make tithing 
There's this, for some people, way up there amazing thing that, wow, you're giving 10%. It's like, really? God wants 100%. Now, you can't start saying you're giving him 100% if you're not even going to give him 10%. So it's a good start. But it's not meant to be the finish. The, the idea is meant to be, I trust God with everything, with 100%. There's been times in our lives, and there's people here in the room who've done the same thing, times when there's a family where we basically had to say to God, well, we don't know how it's going to work out financially. We've got no clue how it's going to do that. We don't know. But we're willing to lay it all down and just trust you. And God always comes through for that. So here's the question for this one. Not about being dishonest. I'm not saying that you're nicking stuff. I mean, how much say has God got over your finances? Do you do or not do things that God might be calling you to based upon whether you think you can afford it? Could he call you to do something that you really don't have the money for and you'd absolutely have to trust him? Could God trust you to do something that only he could afford? So you remember, faithfulness means, I don't mean this is a one-off, but I mean consistently, being willing to keep on doing that. Keep on handing it all over to God. And the third thing that Jesus says God tests us with is whether we're being faithful with what belongs to another. So if you want your own ministry, if you want your own business, if you want your own home even, it even applies in that, how are you looking after what you've got now? So if you're, if you're renting a home, how are you looking after that home? Are you caring for it well as if it's your own? You're, how are, you, are you taking care of somebody else's business? God's looking for people to do that and then he'll give you yours. Who's, you want your own ministry. Whose ministry are you serving and blessing? A little girl was asked at school, what does your dad do at work? She said, I think he makes office equipment and stamps and loo roll and light bulbs. And the teacher said, that's a funny kind of business that he's in. And he said, oh, well, that's what he brings home every day. <laughs> How are you with the little things that God entrusts to you that are really the big things to him? When you borrow something off somebody, do you look after it? Do you give it back to them as well as you got it? Do you even know where you put it? It's a little thing. It's not a little thing. God's looking at the little things. Can I be trusted with the little things? And if I can, then he's going to give me big things. God is looking to promote us. This is the whole thing. He's not like inspecting in some picky way. It's because he's looking for people to promote. Are you promotable? As far as God's concerned. See, at the end of the parable of the talents, it says this, his master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things because that's how it works. We always, we look in the Gospels, you see the, the disciples are always jockeying for position, aren't they? They're always trying to say who's best, who's greatest, which is a weird thing to say when you've got Jesus sitting there with you. Which one of us is the greatest? And I, and I, heard, I heard a guy called, uh, um, called Chris Vallotton say, the great thing is the culture that Jesus created was one where people felt that they could be great. So that's a good thing, isn't it? That's not a bad thing. You start hanging around with Jesus, after a bit, he starts to make you feel like you could do something great. His way 
That's the difference. His way. James and John, you see, they wanted to do it their way. So what do they do? They get their mum involved. Quite famously, they bring their persuasive mother into the equation. We've got the passage for that coming up. And, uh, you know, they're asking her the question. The mother of Zebedee's sons comes to Jesus with her, with her sons and kneeling down asked a favour of him, what is it you want? She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup? I'm going to drink. He's looking at them at this point. And, you know, because they think that the question is all to do with, it's like, have you got the cleverness? Have you got the skill? Have you got the talent? And they're like, yeah, fire away. We're ready. Of course we can. Bring it on. Yeah, we're good. And Jesus said, actually, I'm going to talk to you about your heart. I'm going to talk about sacrifice. Can you sacrifice like me? And then right at the end, he gives the greatest leadership lesson of their whole discipleship program that they've been on for three years with Jesus. He says this in verse 26, whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Greek word diakonos, we get deacon from it. Some churches make it into a title. It's not about titles. The last thing it's ever about is about titles. It's an action. Ministry isn't a title. It's an action. It's a decision. It's something somebody does. We're not big on titles around here. Never want to be big on titles. I saw a pastor at work today here in this church. I thought, wow, that's a pastor at work. Jan Nettleton. When somebody came to her and started to cry and she hugged her and she sat on the floor with her and prayed with her. That's a pastor. I thought, I want to be a pastor like Jan. I want to learn to be a pastor like Jan. I want to pastor people like Jan. As a servant. Jesus, see, that is great. Isn't that great? That is great. I looked at that I thought, that is great. That's how Jesus defines great. Jesus says, if you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. You, you, you minister to other people. This is Jesus' call to greatness. It's great servanthood. Not as a stepping stone to get to some other place, but right there with the people that I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm called to be. And, and whether I'm serving them coffee or doing the sound or playing an instrument or welcoming and asking and inviting, welcoming other people to come along to church, finding a place to serve and getting on and doing it. That's great service. That's great leadership. I want to finish with John chapter 13. Then we're going to do an action of ministry. It was just before the Passover. Jesus knew. What did Jesus know? Notice this. The hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's not just, it is consistent love. He loved them to the end. It wasn't like I'm here for a bit and now I'm gone. Something else better came along. I'm off now. This is tough. I'm leaving. This is about me. I'm going to love you till the end. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. So he's got all the power in the universe. And that he'd come from God. That's secure identity. He knew where he'd come from. And that he was returning to God. He knew where he was going to. So what do you do when you find yourself and you've got all the knowledge 
and all the power in the universe. What do you do with that? He says this, he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, then after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. See, this is the greatest leadership lesson in the whole of history. Jesus knows all power is his. He knows who he is, where he's going. He's got, you know, they say knowledge is power, he's got all of it. And he shares it. And he assumes the position of a servant, the most powerless one in the room. He becomes that person. And a kingdom leader has to learn to do two things. You have to learn to wield power and vulnerability. If you just have power, you're no good. If you're just vulnerable, you're not much use as a leader. We need to be able to know when we're going to pick up the scepter and when we're going to pick up a towel. Jesus could pick up the scepter and lead, but he also knew when to stoop with a towel and serve. And I think that's something you guys have really modelled well as well in this last 10 months. And I could talk about so many brilliant things that you've all done. You really, really have. I'm, I'm, I'm not like your dad or anything, but I'm, I'm proud of you. And I know your heavenly father's really proud of you for the, the things that you've done and the way that you've served, the ways that you've served and the ways that you've led. It's fantastic. And I can't wait and we're gonna, to see how, how God continues to use you and continues to, to keep on growing you as you grow other people too. So what we're going to do, Zoe's got something that uh, when she was praying about before and she's going to come up and read that and, um, and start, to, start to pray. But I'd like to invite you guys to come up and uh, we're going to do that. This is the men's side and this is the ladies' side. I'm going to go and get um, a couple of bowls and me and Zoe in a minute are going to wash your feet and, uh, and pray for you and during that time as, as others as we're washing your feet might want to gather around and they might want to come and pray for you too and, uh, and be able to uh, just bless you and if you've got words of prophecy if you've got pictures for these guys then uh, you know, we, want to, we want to have that happen so uh, that's why we've got this bit more space in fact we probably need to move them out a little bit more if we could I'll go and get the, the bowls but then um, once we've done that I, I want us to listen to what Zoe's got to say and focus in on that as we then invite you guys up to pray so do you want to call babe and um, I don't know which microphone it is thanks so I pinched it really from Chris Vallotton. <laughs> but let's pray for these guys. And let's just, um, when I say the words, just really pray these things in your heart for these guys. Because like Anthony said, they've, they've been amazing. And they don't necessarily know what they're going on to, but God does. So let's pray for them. Yeah, we pray that you remain humble, but not harmless. Honourable, but not self-righteous. Dependable, but not predictable. Bold, but not brash. Patient, but not passive. Powerful, but not controlling. Encouraging, without flattering. Gentle, but not timid. Confident, but not cocky. Steadfast, but not stubborn. Kind, but not benign, discerning, but not suspicious, tough, but not rigid, submissive, but not stubborn. Oh no, sorry, sorry, submissive, but not subdued, 
serious but not somber. We pray that you'd be risky yet wise, peaceful and not calm, um, not careless, spontaneous yet prepared. We pray that you'd be transparent but able to keep confidence. And we pray that you'd be submitted to human leadership, yet following God. And then I felt to read to you Ephesians 6, 10, and it's from the message. And that about wraps it up. God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, And put them to use so you'll be able to stand up to everything the devil throws at you. This is no afternoon athletics contest that we'll walk away from in a couple of hours and forget it. This is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued. So that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. God's word is an incredible weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential. In this ongoing warfare, pray hard and long. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. And then just to finish off, I just really felt... When I was praying, I knew that I was going to be praying for the girls. And I really, I really saw them with God with them. And I knew I'd forget the, with a verse that, that, that it came from. And it's, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. And I thank you, Lord, that you are right with these, these four. Lord, and I thank you that they're called. I thank you that they're anointed. And I thank you that you've appointed them. And Lord, as they seek out what that is, as they seek out on an everyday basis, Lord, I ask that you would show them. And I thank you that you do that sometimes one step at a time, which is hard. But Lord, we trust you with them. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.